Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Thank you, Misha. Um, those who are going to Little Worship can be dismissed at this time. O'Briens, thank you so much. Um, so this morning we are to our, our final uh, time, our final sermon in Jude. And so if you're uh, visiting with us, uh, again, this uh, opportunity, uh, I, we're kind of at the end where we're going to start a new sermon series next week uh, called Ruth. Um, there's a QR code here. Uh, if you could sign in, uh, fill out a little form, give us, if you want to get on the email list to find out more about what's going on at Westminster, um, welcome. Um, glad you're here. Um, so, we've been going through the book of Jude, and, and we've said that Jude is probably one of the most unstudied books in the Bible. Um, and I hope that as we've gone through this, we've found that not only, you know, great things can come from small packages, as, you know, Jude's just one chapter, um, but we've also, maybe we have been and are being transformed by Jude's teaching. Uh, remember, at the beginning, we said that Jude is unique for, for many, many reasons, uh, but mainly because this letter wasn't the letter that Jude intended to write to, to begin with. We see there in verse 3 that he wanted to write about our common salvation. Like, his, his goal initially was to encourage people in the faith. Um, and, and though I, I still think he did that, as we'll get to in our passage today. But he pivoted from that because uh, by the Spirit, he found that there was something more pressing in the church. And I know we hear that, modern ears, we hear that, and we think, well, what could be more important than, than encouraging each other? What could be more important than affirming each other? And Jude says, well, I'll tell you what's more important than that. He said, there are false teachers. Um, there is false teaching that comes into the church that creeps in unnoticed. And like we said last week, false teaching can kind of be like radium, um, you know, at first it seems harmless. You know, that, that radium for a while was all the rave. I mean, hey, it may even make you glow. But over time it rots and, and it kills. And, and we could trace this throughout church history just over and over and over again that things would get crazy and out of hand and then the church would reform. And then it would get crazy out of hand and the church would reform again. But every time the church reformed, you know what that meant. Uh, reforming the church always entailed coming back to the ordinary means of grace. Just like, like coming back to Jesus. Jesus. Um, the cross. And Jude says, look, as much as I'd like to gather around the campfire and sing with you, and let's just all just have a great time. He says, we first have to see that if you are a believer, then you are called to contend for the faith. Uh, wherever you are in your, in your life, you are called to contend uh, for the faith. And, and um, you know, to keep like, the, the full, like, robust gospel of grace uh, to all mankind front and center in the church, in your life. Um, you know, if we die on a hill, and I know that a lot of us like to die on hills, uh, but if we're going to die on a hill, it's down this one. 
Remember we found at the beginning that Jude's word for to contend is is the Greek word that we use for for agonize. And, And in other places it's described as something that is intrinsically worthy of full-out effort. And and there are definitely things that we agonize over in our lives, right? Things that we just worry and stew over and agonize over. But is this one of them? Like when it comes to false teachings, or or we hear something that's just not the gospel, it just doesn't sound right. Um, Jude is saying, like, that is what you burn the ships over. Like, you burn the ships and you're like, we ain't going nowhere until like this, until we deal with this. Um, Because it's false gospels that lead our kids astray, lead us astray, leads the world astray. It's false gospels is why the world looks at the church and thinks we're crazy. And so Jude has spent the bulk of his letter laying out why this is so important. And then uh, last week we finally got to the nuts and bolts of how to contend, right? The the how-to manual. And, And I hope we got that as a church um, and, and look, if you weren't here last week or haven't had a chance, I, I'd strongly commend last week's sermon to you uh, because that was Jude laying out his vision of, of what it means. What does it look like for a church to contend for the faith? And I, I got to tell you, it was, it's beautiful. It's not what we think. And so when, when Greenwood uh, thinks about us at, at Westminster, may they think of us as a church who in mercy uh, contend for the faith. Well, this morning, uh, so Jude's transitioning then from his how-to manual of contending to his ending. And, and as we're kind of transitioning, this week I couldn't help but thinking about uh, this magical day uh, that I experienced growing up on the dairy farm. And, and, and so, um, like on the dairy farm, like everything is about those daggum cows, right? It's like the cows get fed before you get fed, right? And, and so, at least in the 90s, uh, we, we fed cows uh, all these things in, in the hope that what we feed them is going to make them produce more milk and sweeter milk and just better milk, right? And so there was this trend in, in the 90s um, that you could uh, take your round bells of hay and you drizzle molasses all over the hay and then you feed that sweet bell of hay to the cows in the hopes that, I don't know, like they make sweet milk, I guess, from the, from the molasses. And so my dad got in on this. And so my dad bought a huge molasses drizzler uh, filled to the brim with molasses. And and, uh, remember, the the cows are the main thing on the farm, right? Uh, The molasses was for the cows. And and yet, um, if you kind of stood around the molasses drizzler while we're drizzling the hay, um, if you kind of helped a little bit, not just sometimes, but like all the times, um, there was spillage. You know, there's like breakage in business, right? There was spillage. And um, some of the molasses that was meant for the cows would get on you. And, and to, to, for me, as like an eight, nine-year-old boy, like what, what better is there than like having some molasses on your hand? You know, sweet molasses in the summertime. Um, it's like, you know, we, we, I joke about, you know, I got cancer at a young age. And it's like the more I think about my childhood and like all the stuff I ate that's for cows that I ate, it's like it makes sense. Like, okay, maybe that's why, you know, um, all these chemicals I had to spray. Um, okay, so, but here, here's the point in, the, in that story. Uh, Jude meant for this book to be a how-to manual. Like, that was the point. Like, it's not about our common salvation. He's not try, he wasn't trying to encourage us. In fact, he was trying to wake us up and to be like, look, there's some false teachers out there that we need to contend with in mercy. We need to contend with. And yet, here at the end, we see 
that the gospel is still, it's kind of like my dad's molasses drizzler, right? That if you're near it, that the sweet grace always spills out. Like it doesn't matter the intention. As though Jude wanted to write about something else, it's like he can't even get to the end. He can't even finish without reminding us of the sweetness of the gospel. And so here's how we're going to finish this, which I love that we began on the gospel note. We're going to end on a gospel note. So how do we contend? How do we have the power to keep ourselves in the love of God? Uh, what Jude tells us in verses 24 and 25. Uh, this is God's good word. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Well, let's pray. Oh, Lord, you, you tell us in your word that your word is sharper than a, a double-edged sword, that it, it stabs and cuts through all the baloney, all the lies that we believe, and it lays us bare before the truth. Lord, may you do that this morning. Uh, Lord, may in this brief time that we're together, uh, Lord, may you quiet the, the noise in, in our hearts, um, all the things that we're worried about, and may we just sit under your word and, and just taste the sweet molasses of your grace. And we ask this in Christ. Amen. So by, by tagging this doxology in the end, Jude is, is really encapsulating what it is to be a, a follower of Christ. Like what, is, what does it mean to be a believer? And, and because though this whole letter has been about contending, he closes out by saying, but, but it's more than that, isn't it? He says, not only are we called to contend, but we're also called to contemplate. Uh, he, he closes out by saying that, that, you know, we're called to be active in battle and yet lost in wonder. That, that we're to be fully engaged in the nitty-gritty of the world and at the same time fully invested in heaven. And we ask, well, how do we do that? You know, in the original Rocky um, famous scene, Rocky Balboa, right? He's set to fight Apollo Creed, and Apollo Creed is, I mean, he's better than Rocky in almost every way. Faster, stronger, smoother, um, and, and Rocky is a nobody. He stands no chance, and, and on the, the, eve, the evening before the big fight, uh, Rocky is confiding in his uh, then-girlfriend, Adrian, and, and he says, I, I can't beat him. Like, all I want to do is go the distance. No one has ever gone the distance with Creed before. And he says, when that final bell rings, and I'm still standing, then I'll know for the first time in my life that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. He's just trying to prove himself. You know, that, that line, I'm sure, has been used in like, it's like, almost like Lord of the Rings status, as much as that line has been used in a sermon, right? Um, but that line really reveals the human heart more than we, we think. Because God created us as somebodies. That God made us in his image as his sons and daughters, as his children, and he gave us the, the pleasure of carrying out his work in this world. But due to sin, we lost that relationship. And our identities were, were was severed. That relationship was severed. And ever since the fall, we've had this innate desire to prove ourselves. Um, 
to do more and to try harder, and we're going to prove to ourselves and to everybody else that we aren't just another bomb from the neighborhood, that we can go the distance. But there's a huge problem with that, and I know we, we know this. No matter how successful we are, without Jesus, like we are spiritual bombs. We're totally bombs. We don't have it in ourselves to go the distance. And so, I mean, the New Testament is really just a case, it gives us case study after case study of, of all these people who have fallen away, who, who didn't finish the race. And so it's only natural to wonder, well, what hope do we have in accomplishing like anything that Judas just told us to do? What hope do we have in that? What hope do we have of going the distance? Well, as Jude ends, he's going to tell us that, that we have every hope of doing so. Because here's the point. He says, look, it's not about our boxing ability or our apologetic skill. It's not in our doing and trying that makes us go the distance. No, it's God. It's God who takes us the distance, period. And, and y'all, that's, that's our only point this morning as we close that Jude. Um, so see, a one-point sermon, like things are already getting better, right? <laughs> um, God takes his people the distance. If there's just one thing that you know in this life, Maybe that's a good thing to know. God takes his people the distance. Well, how does Jude tell us that? Look at verse 24, this beautiful verse. He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. What an amazing promise to believers and also to those who are just wrestling with assurance. It means that that we can't lose our faith because we aren't the ones who are holding on to the faith. God is the one who's holding on to us. And I know that, you know, in those moments where we're, we're doubtful and we just don't know, we can feel so out of control. And yet maybe that's the point that we're not in control. Like God is the one who is in control of all things. He is the one who's keeping you. And we've seen that word keep being such a key word in Jude. Because Jude began his letter by saying that we are kept for Jesus And then last week he said that we are called to keep ourselves in the love of Jesus or in the love of God. And then today he's saying that we are being kept, we are guarded by God. Which if you put those three together, that really kind of unlocks the mystery of what it is for, you know, faith and works. Um, You know, it's it's not that we, it's not like work out your salvation or work to earn your salvation, nor is it let's just let go and let God. But it's this reality that we are kept for Christ and we are guarded by God and in the midst of all those promises we respond by seeking to then keep ourselves in his love that is what walking by faith means and so to this verse you know skeptics might say well look I know Christians maybe some of y'all know quote Christians who have fallen away you know maybe we know people who they're on their way right now stumbling towards unbelief what about them Well, first, uh, Jesus reminds us that not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is in Christ. Um, We've learned this through through the Gospels, right? That Jesus told us that the weeds and the wheat grow up together, like they're in the church together. As we sang this morning, there are false sons in her pale. Um, Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven. So not everybody that we think is a Christian is a is in Christ. Then second, you know, we've got to say that we're incapable of seeing the full extent of what God is doing. I, like, we just don't know. You know, there have been many who have called themselves, you know, quote, leaving the faith 
only like the prodigal to return later in life. There's lots of people who've done that. And, and then, you know, there are some believers who feel like God's so far away. They're so quiet in their lives. And, and they read this and they think, well, it sure doesn't feel like God's keeping me. But know this, please know this, like if salvation was losable, like we'd all, like every person in this room would lose it. We'd all lose it. If salvation was losable, then the gospel would be a cosmic joke. I mean, it'd just be a prank. The church, you know, surely wouldn't have made it 2,000 years if, if, if salvation was losable. But it doesn't depend on you. It's, it's God. Back in 1858, Basil Manley Jr. said, um, those whom God hath accepted in the beloved and sanctified by his spirit. He said this of you. He said, they will never totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly preserve to the end. And though they may fall through neglect and temptation into sin, whereby they grieve the spirit, impair their graces and comforts, bring reproach on the church and temporal judgments on themselves, Yet they shall be renewed again into repentance and be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. You know, people say, and I've probably even said this, that if you really want to get in touch with the wonder of the gospel, if you really want to worship, then, you know, think about the cross and, and preach the gospel to yourself, right? And that's probably a good thing, but, but John MacArthur said, if you really want to think about the wonder of salvation, think about this, Christ like right, right now, like this split second, is holding on to you eternally in his everlasting arms, and he will not let you go. Like even this very second, he is holding you. You know, I have this suspicion that in the new heavens and the new earth, uh, when we're not being blown away by just whatever, all the amazing things, and, and just by worship, we'll probably be shocked by who's there and by who's not there, you know? Uh, there will be people there that we gave up as lost. Um, there's just no way. <laughs> and there will likely be people we thought were shoe-ins, you know, church leaders. I mean, people who are always posting, you know, the little posts with their coffee mug and their Bible, you know. There's probably going to be people like that uh, that aren't there. Because God keeps his own. God keeps his own from falling away. But not only does he do that, not only does God keep you, listen to this, and this is where things start heating up. Not only does he take us the distance, but it's not like, you know, a Conor McGregor, you know, when, where, he, where he's like fighting now and like he tries, he can go the distance, but then he's called a, the loser, right? God doesn't just keep us around the whole match then to declare the other guy the champion. Like he, he takes us the distance. And, and then listen to what he does. When the final bell rings, he presents us blameless, <laughs> before his glorious presence with great joy. And that, that, that word blameless carries uh, this idea that we find in Leviticus of, of without blemish. You know, that in order to, to have God's presence, a, a lamb without blemish had to be sacrificed and blood had to be spilled, you know, to, to, ha to make way for that. And, and, and look, people hear that today. Um, and they say, well, look, that, this whole blood thing, like, that was just like ancient, archaic, civilization. Um, that's not how civilized people do it today. We, that was just primitive superstitions. Well, to that, um, do you know why civilized people can say that now? Like why we don't do blood sacrifices today? It's not because, you know, the people now are less superstitious. Uh, 
No, it's because Christianity happened. It's because Jesus died and rose and that message spread throughout the world. And you could say the history of civilized world is the history of Christianity. Uh, It's because of Jesus that we don't do this blood sacrifice thing. Because he was the, the once and for all final perfect sacrifice. And so the gospel is, not only does Jesus' blood forgive us of our, our sins, our shame, our condemnation, not only that, um, because you know, a lot of us think, well, Jesus died for my sins, and that's the gospel, but like Jesus dying for your sins and forgiving you just gets you to zero. Like that's not enough to get you into God's presence. That just gets you back to ground zero. The gospel is not only does Jesus forgive our sins, But then Jesus also gives us his perfect righteousness on the cross so that now when God sees you, he sees Jesus. When he looks at those who are in Christ, like he doesn't see a bum. He sees the perfect righteousness of Christ and God smiles on you. Like that's not just like some like happy hippie statement. Like no, like in Christ, you are forensically, cosmically clean. And God smiles. Um, my wife would probably attest to this, that naturally I'm not prone to happiness. That I'm, I don't know, I'm just, I guess I'm just more sad. Um, and they're like, I think like Jesus is doing a number on me and, and trying to kind of work me through that. But I've kind of got a melancholy streak uh, in me. Uh, but this week I read about the Tanzanian laughter epidemic. You ever heard of this? Tanzanian laughter epidemic? Um, so one day in Tanzania, these three schoolgirls were just sitting in class and they started laughing. You've probably done this with your friends, like you start laughing and then it gets contagious and you can't stop laughing. Um, they just started laughing and, and their laughter spread to their classmates and then it spread beyond their classroom into the other classrooms. It spread throughout the whole school. Then their laughter spread to, the, to their village, the neighboring villages, uh, and to other schools. And, and the laughter was so contagious that it didn't die down until 18 months later and 14 school closures, okay? Like, y'all remember last year, we, had, we did like two weeks to, to flatten the curve and like everybody shut down everything, right? Um, you know, we shut down things to try to like stop COVID. Well, like this, these villages in, in Africa, like they had to shut everything down to stop laughter. Can you imagine that? Um, and, and I read that and I think, okay, if that can happen on this fallen planet, Like, imagine how contagious the joy of being with our good, good Father and our Savior and and the Spirit will be. I mean, that in Christ, not only will we go the distance, but but like when we, we, we see Him, we will be seen as blameless, clean, and received with great joy. He's like, oh, for that day, right? And if the Spirit causes like that message to grip us, then there's really only one proper response to the gospel, and it's praise. And that's how Jude ends, ends his letter, on a note of praise. He says, the kind of worship that God is worthy of is the worship that demands that others join in. You know, just as C.S. Lewis said, he said, just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. In other words, it's what Stevie Wonder said in his song, Isn't She Lovely? It's like she's trying to bring us, he's trying to bring us in. It's like, look, check her out. Like, isn't she lovely? Like, isn't she wonderful? Well, Jude ends by telling us one last time, y'all, isn't God lovely? Isn't God wonderful? 
Let me tell you about him. Here's our reason to worship. He says to the only God. Like, why are we so stingy with our worship? Um, and, and we understand that with our money. Right? We understand we need to budget our money. Uh, like with our kids, we say like kids, like, we can't spend all of our money on snow cones. Right? We've got to keep a little bit back like to live. Um, and that's wise. But I think we take that same mindset of we need to take a little bit back. I think we take that same mindset into worship. We, you know, we keep a little bit back for our social status or for our reputation or for our, our sex appeal or for our, for some of you, even your beloved bulldogs, right? Um, and maybe I'm just jealous. That's why I'm saying that. Um, but, you know, the Bible calls us to be childlike in our faith, and in that realm, that's what this means. Just like children, like, they're going to take your entire paycheck and just buy snow cones. You know, they don't care. Like, we're to take all of our worship and just like God, just like all of it. Childlike in our worship. And so we say, God, you take it all because God is the one and only being in the universe worthy of ascribing glory to. That there, there's no one like him Salvation is found in no one else. Like there is one, like one name under heaven given whereby we may be saved in forgiveness and hope and joy and peace and our beautiful future. The longing of our hearts is found in no one else. So, so Jesus is the only game in town. And so it's okay if we give like all of our worship to him. It's okay if we leave here on a Sunday morning and we're spent. So our urge to gather friends and to say, like, isn't that, whatever, this motorcycle, isn't this thing that I have awesome? Isn't that great? Like, our urge to do that is really pointing us towards our ultimate longing to gather together and to say, oh, God's amazing. Jesus is amazing. Isn't our God awesome? Jude says, to him be glory. And just to be theologically proper, We've got to know that you know, God doesn't have glory as much as he is glory, right? James Merritt said, glory is an attribute that is inherent and intrinsic to God. Glory, he says, is as essential to God as light is to the sun, as uh, blue is to sky, and as wet is to water. He said, like, you don't make the sun light. Like, no, it, it is light. You don't make the sky blue. It is blue. And you don't make water wet. It is wet. Likewise, he said, you don't make God glorious. <laughs> God is glorious. Um, you don't really give God glory. You acknowledge his glory and live before his glory. Jude then says that God is majestic. In other words, his beauty transcends. It is turned loose throughout all of his creation. And then God who keeps us has dominion which means power, and the theological word there is omnipotent, that God is all-powerful, and he has utmost control over all of his creation. And we don't always know what he's doing or understand how he's doing that in our lives, but we can trust that he is working all things, providentially reigning and ruling for our good and for his ultimate glory. And what's even more amazing is we see here that, that all of that power is not limited to space or ability or even time. That God is, you know, the past, the present, the future are all his. And, and that's how Jude ends. That God has had authority. 
that God has had the right to rule all things long before you or I were even born. Like long before we started worrying about all the things that we worry about, God's been ruling and reigning and keeping the universe knitted together. Long before that, he was ruling and he is ruling through the good, bad, and ugly in our lives, and he will rule forever. And so, I mean, the kid's song nails it, right? That, that he has the whole world in his hands. So as we close, that means if you are in Christ, losing your salvation is off the table. I mean, not even an option. Because God has all things. And that means he has you in his hands. For his glory, he will keep you. In his majesty, he will keep you. Through his power, he will keep you. And by his authority, he will take you the distance. Amen? Amen. Well, let me pray for us. Father, what, what awesome news and what an awesome Savior. Um, and Lord, may this, may this message, just the simple message that you will take us the distance in Christ. Lord, may you bring that to our minds uh, when we're doubting, uh, when we just don't know. Uh, when Satan or sin or this world comes to just pull away our joy, May this be in the forefront of our minds. Um, that we can't lose our grip on you because we weren't the ones holding you. You hold us. So, Father, may we live beneath that and live beneath your grace. And may we respond, just as you said, just respond to the gospel news by saying, God, you're awesome. So, Lord, may we, may we respond in praise now, even as we sing. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.